0: welcome back to another episode of the did you know podcast i'm your host jamie carson we have a show we're going to recap uh everything that's been going on in the last couple of weeks in the legislature we have the executive our executive director jan moeller and our director of public affairs and outreach Devonte lewis how are y'all doing today
1: Doing great. Uh, You know, back at the office on a trial basis here uh, after a couple of months of quarantine. So, slowly but surely, uh, life is returning to normal and and, uh, you know things are starting to feel normal when uh, you look at the Capitol and things are are a total mess. That that kind of feels like normal. Uh, Or whenever
0: there's a a disturbance in the Gulf, that's kind of normal for us, so.
1: Hurricanes, budget problems. politicians being politicians um you know it, it's a very abnormal time but uh but it's starting to feel like a, a normal abnormal um yeah. and, and that's but but obviously that's just the political side um and that's not everything else that's going on in the world um the national news continues to obviously be unprecedented yeah um Devante.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was gonna say the exact same thing. I mean, when 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 the capital is moving, I guess we're back to normal. And so um, we are existing in a policy uh, apparatus during probably one of the most interesting times, at least in 50 years for this country. I mean, I don't think we've seen a combination of events. Um in a while. So it's 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 uh, it's an interesting time, but I think it's also a time where we're going to see what type of policies really come out on multiple different fronts.
0: Well, I'm glad Jan brought up politicians being politicians, and I'm glad you brought up policy coming out on multiple different fronts, because when the legislature, first when they came back uh, from their hiatus in the regular session, their, their main focus was to pass a budget, and they weren't supposed to take up any complex or I guess contentious matters, and just focus on the recovery effort. We saw that didn't happen with the fact that they didn't pass a budget, and we're also seeing in the special session that the an agenda that was put out by uh, business lobbies and corporations has a lot of a lot of things that um, they've been pushing for in the past. A lot of high priorities that don't seem like they are specifically tailored to the recovery effort. Um, Jan, Devonte, tell me what you thought about whenever you saw this agenda come out and just kind of how this plays into the recovery effort for us.
1: Well, it's really interesting because, you know, obviously we're in an unprecedented um, economic crisis here. You know, unemployment is is approaching 20%, something nobody would have predicted at the beginning of the year. Uh, And so everybody's focused on, on the economic recovery, and so you have two very different approaches that have been taken here. You, uh, the governor uh, created the Resilient Louisiana Commission, and the legislature, uh, the House and Senate, created their own, uh, uh, you know, resilience commission or or you know, economic recovery commission. Um, the governor's panel was kind of reflective of the makeup of the state. You had business folks on there. You had academics on there. You had some politicians on there. Uh, and you also had some community folks on there. So, so it was uh, something that really kind of reflected uh, more or less, and, and no, no commission is perfect, but the broad cross-section of Louisiana. The legislature took a very different tack. They put on their recovery commission almost exclusively, as you said, uh, corporate representatives and lobbyists. Uh, and when you ask a bunch of uh, corporate representatives and lobbyists what we should do to fix the uh, economy well it's no surprise that they put out a, a 41 item agenda that looks like a wish list that could have been uh, a wish list last year two years ago five years ago um, so yeah I think it's
0: like 15 of 41 of the of the points are tax breaks is that right
1: 15 of the 41 uh, items have to do with with tax breaks and there's a lot of stuff about uh loosening regulations and and you know the general idea uh, of of if we just you know cut taxes and regulations and make life easier for for businesses and make sure that they don't get sued by people who may have been damaged by them um then they'll make money and, and that will trickle down to everybody else. You know, we've, we've heard that now for 40 years, really, um, has been the philosophy on the right. Um, that's certainly the philosophy of these, these folks who wrote that agenda, and, and that's what they sent to the legislature, and that's what the legislature seems focused on, um, not just during the 28-day the regular session. It was supposed to be 60 days. They ended up meeting for 28 days. Now, of course, uh, we're in a 30-day special session uh, where, again, the main job is passing the budget, but there are all these little side issues um, that are part of the, the special session agenda um, where you just have to kind of see what, what shows up. You know, we, we don't know right now. Um, you know, there's a bunch of bills that pass in the regular session. They're sitting on the governor's desk. We don't know if he's going to sign or veto them. Uh, the biggest of that, of course, is the tort reform bill, uh, which is not really our issue at the Louisiana Budget Project, but it's the one that's taken up a lot of the oxygen in the chamber. Yep. Um, but but then there is the, the again, the most important thing, the thing they should be focused on, which is getting a budget passed that, that protects critical services to the absolute greatest extent possible. And, you know, Jamie, we say this all the time, and this is uh, kind of, we take this for granted at the budget project, but people need to understand, you know, state government cannot run a budget deficit. So uh, therefore, you know, they can only spend either what they get in emergency relief from the federal government or what we raise in taxes and fees. Right now, there's a billion dollar shortfall. We have a billion dollars less coming in next year than we thought we had coming in just as recently as late January. Uh, to make up that shortfall, we're going to use federal funds, but every dollar that we cut in taxes or give out in tax breaks or credits to, to corporations or businesses is a dollar less that we can spend to educate a child, to fund a university, to provide health care to people who need it, uh, to build roads and bridges, to do any of the things that state government does. So, so uh, you're not really stimulating the economy with these tax cuts at the state level, uh, because we can't run deficits, uh, what you're really doing is creating an opportunity cost. You're taking money from one important thing and giving it to something else, um, and so that's why we think those are so dangerous. I got off on a tangent here, but uh, but that's well. Where I mean, we're
0: also, I, I know people in general have short memories, but we we, we saw after the Great Recession how what you do when you build in these structural deficits year after year after year when you try to goose the economy like this. So Devante, I want to bring you in. What with being our eyes and ears on the ground, what are what are members saying about uh, the agenda that's being pushed out and just kind of where the budget negotiations are right now?
2: Yeah, I think the agenda itself was very complex. We didn't really see the call until um, the week prior to the start of the special session. So it was kind of really kept under wraps. I um, a good chunk of members uh, in the Democratic caucus said they didn't see it until it broke on social media. Um, so I think that was part of the issue when you had a legislative advisory task force kind of creating the decision. Um, it made it very hard for members to say. I think also um, the call is interesting in itself. I mean, since we revised our constitution in 1954, this is only the second time that leaders of the legislative branch have brought themselves into a special session via petition. Uh, The only other time they did this was in 2011 to handle redistricting after the census. So this was also um, not only unprecedented in the way that it was derived, it's also unprecedented in just kind of the context. And I see. I think that the challenge really is going to be uh, measuring the issues about recovery. I think We already heard President Cortez say uh, this weekend that there's more than a 50-50 chance that there will be another special session in the fall, clearly showcasing that this special session kind of didn't have a very immediate focus. I I think another challenge that we're also going to uh, see along the way is, is, is on the budget. I think there has been some serious negotiations there, but there's still a severe disagreement over spending some of the CARES Act funding. Um, You saw that uh, some members moved to take $300 million of the appropriated $800 million that was supposed to go to local governments to create a state version um, of a small business program along the lines of the PPP program that we saw from the CARES Act. I mean, so that's still a point of contention. We're seeing that being a point of contention. Another budgetary point of contention is what do we do with the surplus money? We, We forget that we're ending the budget year on June 30th uh, um, and there has been some disagreement about using that to improve capital outlay um, and deferred maintenance of state buildings and construction projects. And so we saw um, just this week where the house uh, failed to pass the funding mechanism that included the surplus money for um, our capital outlay bill. Um, And it's gonna be a point of disagreement. So we're seeing that even though the overall budget has seen some uh, progress in movement, that there's still uh, some disagreement, but we will see the budget take place on the House floor on Wednesday, and we'll see exactly where they're going from there. But that's kind of like what's been happening at the Capitol.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up because even in these this budget debate, uh, the Appropriations Committee isn't accounting for the millions of dollars in tax breaks that are kind of being floated around. So where do we see the, the, the next line of budget neg- negotiations as they move forward, Jan?
1: Uh, well, like Devante said, the, the bill now goes to the House.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, th- the House will take it up. Usually when these things get to the floor, there's not that much horse trading. You know, what yeah. you usually will see on the floor is, uh, you know, so, some amendments that everybody kind of agrees on uh, behind closed doors if, if they have those. Um, and then one or two stray members might have some money that they want to redirect to their districts and, and take it somewhere, so you 'll have a few fights here and there uh, you know the irony of budget debates at the capitol uh, and i've watched this time and time again over the years is that they tend to be more controversial the more money there is to spend so if if they had not if there had not been a pandemic um, you know, you remember in, in as as late as February, we were heading into a pretty good budget year. You yep. know, there was extra money, there was a surplus out there, um, there was money in the budget for teacher pay raises, there was some money for early childhood education, um, there was money for higher ed, additional dollars. You know, we're finally going to start to reinvest in our public colleges and universities. Uh, I think you would have seen an enormous fight about how to use that money. Uh, You know, when there is extra money sloshing around, and I use the term extra in a relative term because I don't think there's ever enough to fill our needs, um, that's when you see everybody trying to get a piece of that pie in a big, big fight. When there's no money, you know, when you're in a billion dollar shortfall uh, and all you're trying to do is plug holes, the legislature tends to get pretty compliant. You know, nobody wants their fingerprints on those budget cuts. So if the governor comes out and recommends, you know, this is how we plan to fill the holes, generally they'll agree to it. So, so I don't think right now we're going to see those big fights over, uh, over the operating budget. The big deal, the big thing we need to watch right now is, like you said, these tax cuts and these tax breaks. Um, there are a couple of bills out there, especially, that that are pretty much open-ended. You know, the, the, the legislative fiscal office does the best job it can to kind of predict how much each of these bills, these tax cut bills, these tax credit bills, are going to cost the state. Um, and, and they try their hardest, and they have really good economists over there, but they don't always get it right. And in some cases, uh, and, and unfortunately, the history in Louisiana tells us that uh, sometimes a tax break that you think is not going to cost that much ends up costing a lot more than anybody predicted. Um, and, and some of these tax breaks are really open ended. And when you create some of these tax credits, I mean, the classic example is the film credit program. Mm-hmm. You know, when that thing passed um, before Hurricane Katrina, Um, It was an idea, the idea was we're going to try to attract some film productions to the state and these are clean industries and and they create all kinds of different jobs. Um, And so we're going to subsidize the film uh, program within just a few years. uh, It was costing us close to $300 million a year, which was a price tag that nobody expected. And so the state had, you know, we had huge debates and eventually we ended up uh, capping the film program. We're still spending $180 million a year making movies in Louisiana, and we're not getting a big return on investment. Um, There are a couple of bills, one bill in particular that passed uh, is is very similar to that, except instead of underwriting jobs in the film industry, this bill proposes to underwrite jobs in in retail, hotel, and and restaurants uh, for, for the next three years. Um, for anybody who's rehired in those occupations. Uh, it, 6% of the payroll of those jobs would be covered by state taxpayers. The problem with something like this, which kind of sounds good when you're trying to revive the economy, is that we have no idea how many people would would uh, be affected by this and how much it would cost the state. So it could be something that costs 10 or $20 million dollars but it's much more likely that it would cost us 70, 80, or 100, or $150 million or more. And that's money that we can't spend on other things that I would consider more important than subsidizing minimum wage jobs that are probably gonna come back anyway.
0: And that's a great point. Uh, Devontae, what are, what are members saying kinda about, about these tax breaks? What's, can we afford them Um, Are are these just coming down directly from the line of the uh, agenda that was laid out? What are members' feelings about the legislation that's kind of been circulating around and that currently isn't even being plugged into the budget negotiations at this point?
2: Yeah, I think it's a mixed kind of conversation right now. There is those who are saying that this is the only way to save businesses and small businesses in this state, even though we have seen uh, these very proposals in good economic time. So it's, it's hard to kind of imagine why in a bad economic time it makes even more sense when we are facing um, budget shortfalls. I mean, I think they're trying to rectify what do we do? How do we do it? Is this, is this an appropriate use of our energy and our time? I mean, we saw a few of them sail out during the regular session about a $7 million um, tax cut on small businesses in the franchise tax. Um, and so we've seen some other proposals to even further suspend and do some of those actions. I mean, I don't, I think we're all kind of waiting to see the governor's uh, response. I mean, he, in his press conference this, uh, later this weekend, excuse me, um, before the weekend kind of talked about how he didn't know if they were good ideas, but didn't necessarily show whether or not he would be vetoing um, these legislation. So I think everyone's just trying to rectify. I think there's also some ideas about, maybe should there be a tax credit for working people if we're gonna talk about tax credits. Uh, They have suffered the most essential workers, frontline workers, um, workers with low wages. Um, So I think there's going to be multiple conversations, but I don't know how we see it. We saw though in the regular session, there was some pushback. Um, Some of the more aggressive tax plans were amended or not even passed. So I think there is still an uneasiness across the board, across the body Um, to do some things, but when you have significant push, as John talked about from the legislative task force that are saying this is the only thing to bring recovery to Louisiana's mom and pop small businesses, I think it makes it very hard. So we're just going to have to wait and see and really kind of keep the focus that um, we cannot have, we can't make this a two-prong equation where either we prop up small businesses or we deplete state resources and not provide the goods and the services to the people of Louisiana. That's a false choice, and we shouldn't allow that to be the choice in Louisiana. I mean, we'll see if they make that the choice.
0: Well, and the last thing that I want to bring up today, and, and we, would, we wouldn't we would be doing our job as the Louisiana Budget Project if we didn't bring up the fact that there needs to be a racial equity component in, in this recovery and something that the legislature needs to take very seriously. Uh, we know that. Uh, black Louisians are disproportionately more likely to lose their jobs and to and to die from COVID-19. We know that they're more likely to be essential workers. We know that there were historical racism that put them at disadvantages and, and created these wide health disparities that made them more susceptible. Devontae and Jan, before we go, I just wanted to see what different policies um, are out there and just how do we get the conversation to, to put this at the forefront of of the recovery, because I know a lot of people are focused on that, but in the current time that we're living in, the, the component of racial equity needs to be at the forefront of this.
1: Devante, do you want to start? And,
2: uh... Sure, I'll go first.
0: I, I think it has
2: to be, and I think one of the things that I think the legislative branch should do right away, even though it is not really enough of teeth, but I think they should pass a resolution declaring racism a public health crisis in this state. Um, that sets up the parameter that every policy that we do is public health when it when it involves racism and when we're not attack, attacking um, racism and dismantling a system that has been set up uh, for so long. I think another objective that they have to do is we have to start collecting racial data. I believe in every yep. form we cannot have this belief that we can create these programs and have these tax breaks and make these investments and not, analyze exactly who is benefiting from it. Because if our target intervention is for black um, and brown people in Louisiana, and they are not reaping the benefits of the programs that we are saying are benefiting them, then that's a serious problem. So I believe all of our departments and agencies for all of their programs um, should be run. I think if we do any state version of a PPP plan that we must include um, disaggregated racial data Um, And not only just racial data, gender data, to know, are we truly targeting Black businesses? Are we targeting women businesses? Are we increasing them? I mean, I think the final step is Louisiana has to start to tackle its serious history of racism. Yeah. I mean, that means we have to start looking at public policy as we know public policy is not race neutral. We know every policy has a racial impact, regardless what the intentions of the said policy is. Um, And so I think the final solution that we have to do is we have to start having the same type of conversations we have on fiscal impact with racial impact. That we need to create a process where when we are passing legislation, when we are creating policies that we are upfront, looking at the racial implications that this policy could have on diverse communities in this state um, and being able to assess them in the moment rather than waiting Year or two or three years down the line, in some type of assessment of a tax credit or a budgetary uh, control item, or a policy, to then say, "Well, wait a minute, it's disproportionately hurting African Americans, or or women, or or, our Latino brothers and sisters." And so, I think that is the key: is just recognizing it and being upfront to say we have to look at it from the start, and rather than kind of this. reactionary view that we take sometimes where we look at it on the back end when we should have been more proactive and assessing whether or not this will have a racial impact from the start.
1: Uh, I, I think Devante said it extremely well. He, he's, he's exactly right. And I think, yeah, number one, we need more data. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough data on the way uh, policies affect different groups in, in our state. And so we need to, to require the state to do a better job of collecting this data and then using this data. But then we also need to think about some, some obvious low hanging fruit type policies that we can do. For example, we know now, uh, and we should have known before uh, who the essential workers are. And, and, yeah. and that essential workers aren't just doctors and nurses, but anybody working on the front lines often for low pay and we know that they are, are disproportionately, that they are more likely to be uh, uh, workers of color, uh, whereas white workers are more likely to be able to work from home or, or in, a, in a safe environment. So we could, uh, again, make sure that, that workers have the PPE that they need, but also that they're paid a fair uh, wage, that they have access to sick leave, that, that uh, our tax structure is no longer upside down. So that the people who uh, are uh, make the most money in Louisiana pay taxes at the lowest rate, which is the case right now. That's because we have a sales tax. Uh, what the highest sales tax in the country, or I think we're below Tennessee by uh, a hundredth of a percent. Um, you know, the, the way our tax structure is, is structured right now is structured against people of color. Uh, it disproportionately hurts them. Again, wages are too low, benefits are too low, um, and and you know the way we invest public dollars in this state um, it is one of the reasons that that we have the disparities that we have. Uh, you know, we did not get to this giant gap in in wealth and opportunity um, and outcomes in Louisiana by accident. It was the result of policy choices. Hundreds and thousands of them made throughout the decades. Um, and so it's in our power to change those policies. Uh, hopefully this moment as a nation and as a state, um, uh, which is highlighted, you know, it's, uh, we always say George Floyd was the spark, but these fires have been burning for a long time. Now that they are burning so brightly that everybody can see what we have created with, with centuries of, of, of racist policies, uh, that, that often, you know, incarceration, we didn't even start talking about, you know, Louisiana is still the most incarcerated state in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, disproportionately affects people of color have destroyed entire communities where, where men have been just taken out of those communities and incarcerated, um, and that's a phenomenon that we didn't have in this state as recently as the early 70s. Um, so there's a lot of places we can go with this. Um, I think uh, as difficult as a moment this is, as, a, a, as difficult a moment as this is for the country, the fact that it has shined a light on these disparities, uh, hopefully will be, uh, you know, the next step is gonna be the hardest. Uh, now that we all know about this, uh, including people who would rather maybe not think about these things as part of their daily lives. And I'm speaking to those of us who are white. Um, the hard part is doing something about it. And so that, that's something we're going to continue to work on at the Louisiana Budget Project. I know there are a lot of other organizations out there working on it, but it also is just going to take ordinary citizens to, um, who, who don't think about this stuff every day, but but hopefully see the disparities, um, see uh, these policies for what they are to wanna work to change them. Um, and so uh, hopefully this is a time of opportunity uh, for the country, uh, not a time of despair. And, and I think that's how we have to look at it.
0: No, I completely agree. Um, it's, it's something that needs to be, front and center in the recovery effort. Uh, it wasn't something that was front and center in a lot of people's minds, but it certainly is now. Uh, I wanna thank Jan Moeller and Devontae Lewis for coming on today. We'll certainly be updating you as this special session uh, comes comes and goes and uh, they craft a budget. Um, anything else y'all wanna say before we go?
1: Don't forget to subscribe to The Daily Dime and, and get our emails, uh, they're free. Um, and we'll only spam you once a day two at most (laughs) um and it's not really spam if you sign up
0: exactly it's all it's all important information that that you need all right well thanks again uh for coming on and uh, everyone listening have a great day